The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so basically what that means is that um, the, the teacher describes how they came to practice, what it was that led them to, to want to meditate. And um, we all have our story, right? And I know, at least for me, it was always helpful to hear, well, you know, number one, why did, why did other people come to practice? Uh, but mostly I wanted to hear why they stayed, right? Because we all try different things and, oh, that's fun for a while, and okay, well, I'm no longer interested in that. But why do we stay? And why did I stay? So I'll talk about that uh, as we move through the evening. But I also wanted to know how many of you are, you don't have to look around the room, but have meditated for, say, less than six months. Okay. And then less than a year. Okay. And then less than three months. Okay. Um, and I also wanted to say before I start the talk that all of you are amazing practitioners to be here tonight in this crazy weather. <laughs> so I actually went to leave my house, and um, it sounds a little exotic, but it's not. I live on this island. And so I was going to leave to get off. Yeah, it does sound a little exotic. And they had, the PG&E was there with this big truck and all these police cars, and it said, you know, that the, the road was closed. And I'm thinking, no, I need to get IMC. It was like that moment of a little bit of panic. And um, then, thankfully, um, they had this detour that was very convoluted. So I'm not so sure how I'll be getting to my condo tonight, but as long as I'm here. Um, so, yeah, also, whatever I talk about tonight, hopefully you can hear something that helps you. And um, if anything that I say is you don't find very useful, then you can just, um, you know, leave it here. So, um, so why I came to meditation? Well, like many of us, or some of us, I came to meditation because I was suffering. I was suffering, suffering, suffering. So I had gotten sober in 1994. And um, I was suffering a lot. And, you know, I thought, oh gosh, how am I going to get through life? This is really a challenge here. Um, so, you know, on the outside, I had what most people would consider a really wonderful life. You know, I had a great job, I had a great husband, I had a great house, you know, I was very athletic, and yet, you know, on the inside, just like something was missing. So, um, I, I went to AA meetings, so that's how I got sober, and about a couple years into it, I went to this new meeting, and uh, they announced that uh, tonight, this is a, tonight we're going to be meditating, and we meditate for 10 minutes. Well, it's so funny now looking back because uh, 
you know, what they considered meditation is they played some music, you know, for about <laughs> for about five or ten minutes, and people closed their eyes. So that's fine. Um, actually, it really worked well for me since I had never meditated. But it was such an amazing experience because they turned this, you know, kind of very slow, uh, relaxing music on, and we closed our eyes. And I, for the first time in many years, felt very peaceful. And I thought, oh, wow. Now, I don't know why I had never encountered meditation. I was 30, by the way. Actually, by that time, I was 32. And so that really sparked my interest. So I continued to go to that meeting, etc. But... Um, what happened um, a year or so later is I moved down to Palo Alto for a job and um, went to AA meetings and uh, started first couple of months and was telling people, you know, oh, this meditation stuff, you know, I, I love that. Um, but I, I found meditating at home, you know, certainly challenging. I'm not sure if anyone else finds it challenging, but um, somehow, you know, especially with work, I would fall asleep in the morning, and my meditation wasn't so good. Um, but someone at the AA meeting said, well, you know, there's this group down the street, um, and there's this guy who teaches there by the name of um, Gil something, and, you know, I heard really good things about him, so you might want to go over and check that out. And so I thought, okay, well, that sounds good. And, you know, my meditation was maybe 10 or 15 minutes. That was my experience. And I, you know, I kind of thought I was a meditator. So uh, this is when IMC was in Palo Alto. So I went for the first night, and I think back then it was Monday night. And um, they rang the bell, you know, and then everyone was silent. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I, I had no idea what was going on. And it felt like a really long time, because it was 45 minutes. Um, and I had never sat that long. But there I was. And, you know, as you know, well, at least I felt that, you know, I just couldn't get up. And so that's fine. So um, then I feel like uh, what they kind of call, when it, well, what I call, what they call sometimes in 12-step, the spiritual awakening happened. Because um, I had never heard of any Buddhist principles. or I didn't even know this was a Buddhist anything. I just knew you meditated. But Gil started to talk. Now, number one, how many of you have heard Gil talk? Okay, so number one, I go in there and... You know, in those days, I was, you know, triple-A personality at work. Ah, so I was very stressed out. So he talked with this voice that was so soothing. So my whole body relaxed, right? Okay, so there is that. Number two, he has a great sense of humor, which I really appreciate. And um, so there was that. But number three, he started to talk about something I related to, and I felt like I never heard said in um, other arenas. Uh, and I certainly hadn't heard again of, um, you know, Buddhist principles. So he said, um, he talked about the Four Noble Truths that night. And he said that suffering exists in the human realm. Being a human being includes suffering. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I know that one. 
that's very clear. Um, and then he explained that the, the reason why we suffer is clinging and attachment and uh, craving, as they call it. Actually, I think the one of the other ways the um, technical translation I think is um, thirst, which is which is very interesting. You know the the craving we have when we are thirsty. And so, the third thing that he talked about was that you can be released of your suffering, that suffering does cease, suffering does end, if you don't cling, and that there is a path to the end of suffering, and that's the Eightfold Path. Well, that, I had never heard this, and I, I was... I was really changed that night. I, I felt for the first time they were talking about what I experienced, suffering, but they, more importantly, they talked about there's a solution. There's hope. That's, that's what I heard. I heard hope. I don't know what anyone else in that room heard, but um, that really spoke to me. And I, I just, um, from, from that day forward, um, <laughs> Yeah, like some of the other things, you know, it's, it's kind of my personality. I just really, in this case, it was very good. I really dove into the practice. So I became very involved with um, with IMC, as it was back then. And one of the things that I did is I volunteered. I volunteered to record the talks. I volunteered to put out the books. And, of course, you know, back then it was a chore because you had to carry it out. It wasn't our center. It was a, Quaker Center, and so, um, you know, there's this whole process, but um, one of the things about that that I really appreciate and um, that we have here still today is that when you volunteer, when I volunteered, you know, I met people, right? I met people who were also on this path in, in whatever way they were on the path. And um, that's really important because they talk in Buddhism about, um, you know, the, the three refuges, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And the Buddha refuge being our potential to awaken, just as a human being, each of us has that potential. And, of course, the Dharma being all of the Buddhist teachings. And then the Sangha, which I, over time, have really come to appreciate, which is um, all of those fellows who practice with us. And I know I could not be here tonight if it was not for all of the people that helped me along the path. So, obviously, Gil, I'm, you know, just infinitely grateful to his wisdom over the years, his patience, tolerance, and um, also to all the Sangha members that, that I met along the path. And you know, some people came and some people have gone. And you know, that's just, I, I actually appreciate that very much about the center is um, we don't have membership. Um, people come because they are inspired or they don't. Um, but one of the things that happens, uh, you know, when you talk to others who practice, is that you learn. I learned. So I learned where are they, um, not just where they're uh, going on retreats, because we have various retreats throughout the Bay Area 
and outside of the Bay Area. So, you know, what books are they re- what books are they reading? What teachers are they going to hear other than Gill? Um, what retreats are they going to? What types of practices are they currently utilizing? You know, so many different types of um, you know concentration or um, the, the loving kindness practices. Um, the jhanas, which I myself have not gone into, but so learning, learn a lot from others, and um, and then something that you might have experienced tonight, which is being in the same room as other people. At least for me, there's some energetic field that I feel like my my meditation does um, sharpen in some ways. Now I have to admit, not always, because sometimes I come here on Sunday mornings. And there's so many people. It's beautiful, but there's so many people. And, you know, this little mind, ah, these people are making so much noise, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, and the door's going, and then if it's a potluck Sunday, right? But for the most part, and especially Thursday nights, I so appreciate Thursday nights. It reminds me of the, um, the times when we first started. But when it's a small group and... And there's something about my meditation anyway, and I felt it tonight, that just really clicked and um, makes it a little bit sharper, so I appreciate that. Um, and the other thing that it does is, um, you know, uh, when we, we had day-longs back then, uh, as we do now, and, you know, when, you're, when your friends are going, it's a Saturday, the sun's coming out, but I know that my friends are going to that day long. Now, theater, hmm, I don't know if I want to be indoors all day, but guess what? You know, there's this, um, a certain um, motivation that comes from, from being on the path with others. And, um, you know, there's never been a time that I have gone to a day long or a retreat or an evening talk that I have regretted it. And I can honestly say, never since 1997, 96, 97, I actually couldn't even remember when I came. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter. Um, so I never regretted it. And, you know, uh, when you sign up for retreats, how many people have been on maybe a weekend retreat? Or, oh, ah, great, okay. Seven to ten days, anyone? Okay. So um, I am going to talk about retreats here. Uh, maybe I'll do that, and then I'll talk about the Dharma group. So, yeah, when you sign up for a retreat, well, even if it's a weekend or seven to ten days, the longest I've done is a month, which actually isn't that long compared to what... I forget the comparing mind, but anyway, that's, the, <laughs> that's what I could get off work was a month, and I was very grateful for it. But... Um, you know, the opportunity costs, right? So if, if I sign up for a retreat, there's a lot of things that I'm not doing um, and uh, to forego so that I can go to the retreat. And no matter how many times, it was just over the years, I've really just signed up for it. You know, because yeah, I'm always, oh, but I'm going to miss this, I'm going to miss that. The minute you get to the retreat... Well, let's say maybe a day or so into it. Maybe the first, the first day or so, um, you know, there's always the settling in challenges. But I've never, again, I've never left a retreat 
wishing that I didn't go. Um, I would say 99.9% of the time, about a day before the retreat started, and I thought, oh, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. In fact, it happened again to me. I just did a 10-day retreat about a month and a half ago at Spirit Rock, and um, I was just, oh, I did not want to go. And, uh, you know, there's a month-long February and March going on there. And, you know, oh, i got to sign up, i got to sign up. And, and I found out it was full. You know, this whole scene going on. But, okay, just forget it. This, you know, and, and this is all practice, right? It's all practice, because what is that? That's craving. Whether we're craving something that's wholesome, as they say, or unwholesome. I mean, wanting to go to a retreat is a very wholesome thing, but I was completely attached to it. Um, and thankfully I could see that, you know, and, um, you know, I kind of was laughing. It's like, it's full. And besides that, I had other commitments. I mean, you know, um, but in any case, um, retreats, one of the things that I wanted to bring up about them is, you know, over time as you practice, um, there's what we call our daily practice when we meditate each morning, um, daily life practice, which Andre teaches, and um, basically trying as much as possible to be mindful throughout our day. And then there's the silent retreats, and they are all silent. Um, You do have interviews with the teachers uh, once every couple of days. But in any case, I really feel like every person deserves that gift. It is a gift. And here at IMC, our retreats are offered on a dana basis, which means that, um, and, and this has been so important to Gil, everyone has the opportunity to go to a retreat, regardless of their financial situation. And everyone, you know, for those of you who haven't been on a weekend, even a weekend or seven to ten days, or... I just would say, give that gift to yourself at some point in this lifetime. And if you don't, that's fine too. But it is a gift. It is a huge gift. And um, Vipassana meditations, insight practice. And insights, at least in my experience, are more able to come to the surface after several days of being silent. Now, it's not easy but it is worth every minute of effort. Um, I, myself, am a yoga person. How many people do yoga in here? Yeah. So, um, most of the retreats that I attended in the early days, no yoga. (laughs) And um, so, but they do have the walking meditation. And now, most of the retreats that uh, we offer, uh, actually, not IMCs, but... um, Spirit Rock, etc., will have a, a yoga session. Um, but there's always, at IMC retreats, there's always the opportunity you can bring your mat into your own practice. And that helps a little bit. But um, anyway, uh, regardless, if, uh, if any of you are inspired at some point, I would just encourage you to give yourself that gift. It's, it's lovely. Um, so one of the other things that we have here is something called the Dharma Neighborhood Groups, and it's a bit related to what I was mentioning before about Sangha. So I'm in a Dharma Neighborhood 
group. And these th- these groups are amazing. And so another session will start up, I don't know, maybe three or four months, six months. They'll announce it. It'll be announced. Um, but this, again, is my encouragement and my experience of... Um, Belonging again, the sangha, belonging to um, if you if you f- feel so inspired to a neighborhood dharma group because what happens is there's um, it's set up for twelve weeks and so there's twelve weeks of instruction and Gil has looked at the curriculum if you will and and um, the group only meets once every month and it is so amazing how much I learned from each of these groups. Uh, we, I've been part of these types of groups for um, 14 years and always find so much um, inspiration from them. Again, they always help me to go home and, and you know remember my practice because someone else went in and talked about, oh, they had this really great sit this morning. I'm thinking, oh, well. You know, so it's always encouraging. And then everyone's doing different um, programs. Um, they talk about what programs they're involved in, whether it's chaplaincy, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, or whatever they're doing. There's always a place uh, for, for all of us in, in the Buddhist practice here at IMC and, and others, um, something called Engage Buddhism. And there's, there's, so people talk about what they're doing, what retreats they went to. Again, it's, it's so um, motivating. And uh, so if any of you are encouraged um, or have the time to, to go to those, we'll, we'll start up probably another six months or so. Um, so something that I'm doing right now um, that I want to talk about is called the Chaplaincy Program, and it's it's uh, with Insight Meditation Center. And um, Gil started this program some years back, and the way I understand it, it was his response to um, the 9/11, and that was the way he wanted to. He felt that he could respond and to contribute to um, some of the suffering in the world. And so um, there's a group going on right now. It's a year-long program. And um, I'm what they consider an intern chaplain. And I work at San Francisco General Hospital. It has been the most beautiful experience. Uh, And actually, it's... um, what we do is we visit patients. And um, by the way, it's multi-faith, interfaith. So we don't go in there and try to convert people to Buddhist practice. But um, we go in there and we sit with patients. And we, we are technically you know, a spiritual guide. Um, we're there to comfort. We're there to just be present. Basically, what's ever needed. And um, what I want to say about this is that, you know, the reason why I continue to practice meditation, mindfulness, and to come here is because it enhances the quality of my life and it continues to pay dividends. And what I mean by that specifically with the chaplaincy program is 
I signed up for this program, and I, I think I was a little bit naive about what I was going to encounter in the hospital. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go in, I'm going to help people, it's going to be beautiful. And um, so we had this training at the hospital um, for some months, and the first night that I went to go see patients, I walked into the nurse's station, and I started... Well, my head started to spin. <laughs> and um, I was dizzy, and I, I... I guess my body was reacting. Completely had no idea what was going on, but this is what my body was doing. Um, I made it through that evening... Uh, a little bit uh, traumatized in some ways. So I had to go back and regroup. And um, I, I talked to my teachers and I told them what happened. And then I, you know, I meditated and I tried to, to really go back and see what was it that happened for me. Um, so the long and the short of it is um, I, I decided, you know, that, well... One of the things that the Buddha did, and this, this statue does not show it, but some of the statues um, or images of the Buddha that you see, the, one of the Buddha's hands is down, touching the earth. It's my favorite, favorite story. Um, so many of you have probably heard of it, but if not, um, on the night that the Buddha became enlightened, when he sat under the tree, and he decided he was going to meditate until he had an answer to all the to, to the suffering. And um, as he was meditating, Mara, which is um, these the gods of evil, the evil spirits, came to visit the Buddha and basically said, "Who are you to think that you can be enlightened?" This is my understanding of it. And um, the Buddha, at that time, put his hand down to touch the earth, to call the earth as his witness. And this took care of Mara. And I thought about that story, and it's always been a favorite one of mine. Um, I relate to the earth very much about, in terms of strength and the trees and rocks. So I thought, okay this is how I'm going to get through this. So I decided I was going to bring in a rock with me. And so I did. I, I held on to a rock into my left hand, because you know you're supposed to shake hands with your right. And um, I decided when, if and when I got dizzy, or felt like I was going to faint, it wouldn't be very... It wouldn't be so helpful if the chaplain was on the ground. So um, that I would squeeze this rock. And I told the chaplain at San Francisco about this. Okay, fine. So it worked. I was so thrilled. It worked. And ever since then, I've just been um, really, really enjoying the work there. And basically... um, you know, if any of you are called, we've got the pamphlets out there um, for the chaplaincy program. But I have been, um, I have been completely inspired 
and amazed by the patience. The, the, the courage that these patients have is absolutely, um, it's really stunning. And, you know, I heard, uh, I, I, probably a lot of you have heard this saying where volunteers say, you know, oh, I get more out of my volunteer work than, you know, than the people that I volunteer for. And I, you know, I used to think, oh, brother, you know, because that, I don't know. But I can honestly say that I feel like I get more out of this than the patients. And I, I do understand the patients are um, clearly, you know, being helped. But um, I have seen, I have seen so much that I would not have experienced. Uh, number one, San Francisco General Hospital is obviously, um, they take, they take any, anyone regardless of their health insurance status. And, um, and they are the, one of the few trauma centers other than Stanford in the Bay Area. So if people are involved in accidents, they take them to San Francisco General for the most part, between Stanford and San Francisco General. Um, in any case, they have a wonderful program. And um, this, to me, is, is it's, there's a, you know, how many of you have heard the, in, the term engaged Buddhism? And, and this is really what engaged Buddhism is. It's Buddhism in action, compa- compassion in action. Um, I heard a talk from uh, Ajahn Amaro, one of the, um, one of the monks we have here in in the Bay Area, and um, you know he called it CIA, Compassion in Action. Um, but it's it's really um, you know all of the practice is important. So I couldn't be at San Francisco General if I didn't have my meditation practice, and um, it takes a lot of a lot of groundedness and a lot of um, emotional stability, spiritual stability to be able to serve those individuals. And and I'm so grateful I can. And so all parts of the practice are important, including being on the cushion. Um, the, one of the other things that I found is um, it's just brought me so much freedom from fear. You know, I'm embarrassed to say, but... Um, I used to be afraid of homeless people. I just was. You know, and I wouldn't look at them, and I would try to walk fast if they were near my car, I'd roll up the windows, lock the doors. Um, you know, and that's, that's fine. It's just that now um, I serve a lot. Of, there's a lot of homeless people there because when, when they get injured and they need medical attention, they go to San Francisco General. And, and I've had the most amazing conversations. It's just, you know, my whole world has opened up, you know, all of the, I think, you know, fear for me, at least in my experience, fear has kept me from interacting from a lot of different, with a lot of different types of people. Um, I've had the pleasure, and I say it that way, I've had the pleasure of um, being a chaplain to inmates in uh, in the hospital, so you know they have guards outside of the door, and for whatever reason they're there, they need medical attention, but they're either in jail or prison or something, but they're there. 
And um, when I first started the program, when I heard this, I said, oh, that's very nice, but I won't be, I won't be seeing those patients, thank you. That's just beyond my ability. And as, um, as I read more information and I learned more and I became more educated about the whole prison system, the whole justice system, etc., which I won't go into, it's a whole other talk, I realized, you know, my world was so small. And so I felt so grateful the first uh, visit that I had. And, um, you know, we all, all of us, um, are human beings and we all suffer. And so that was, um, that was something that I felt really grateful to do. Um, and then the other program that I'm involved with right now that I wanted to speak about just briefly is called uh, Mindfulness Yoga and Meditation Training, and it's at Spirit Rock, and that's for a year and a half. And again, if any of you are inspired in future years, it's, a, it's an amazing program. It's basically um, integrating yoga and meditation, which sounds like it's completely obvious, but, um, but now there's, class, there's yoga classes that you can take that are specifically mindfulness yoga, where you move very slowly and you're very, um, it's much more mindfulness-based about feeling your body than it is about doing the poses in a um, in a rather hurried way. Let's just say that. Um, and one of the ways, one of the reasons why I signed up for this is because I want to go to. Um, there's a juvenile detention centers two or three in the Bay Area, where there's um, at-risk, um, at-risk youth. And um, in particular, I'm going to be teaching yoga to uh, the at-risk girls. I think their ages are something between the ages of 11 and 17 or 18, something like that. But they've done studies on yoga, meditation, and art has helped these girls, um, some of them, not all of them, but um, turn from a life of either crime, violence, drugs, all the above, none of the above, um, and and turn them around into um, really looking to to contribute to the world and and to have a better life for themselves. It's very exciting. um, You know, here in the Bay Area, we have so many great programs to contribute to. So um, I'm looking forward to doing that. So that's one of the reasons why I'm in there, in this program. Um, and, um, and it's also one of the reasons why I continue to practice because, again, I, I find that meditation is so practical. And I hope that all of you have found um, in some way, shape or form, um, the benefits of the practice. I'm assuming you have, otherwise you probably wouldn't be here. Um, But I was going to give you a couple of examples and then I'd like to open it up for some Q&A. I'll give you just this one example and uh, because it's very it's very current and perhaps some of you can relate to it. So it's been raining a lot. Raining, 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 and I'm allergic to fungus and molds and uh, and my body hurts and uh, 
Oh, unpleasant. As they say, there's three ways that we human beings experience the world. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So I've been saying to myself, unpleasant, 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 you know. And um, I've actually found this very helpful, this whole technique that I've used for years is, you know, your boss is telling you some bad news, like unpleasant, unpleasant. You know, and it's a way to be um, a little bit removed from the experience instead of getting caught up right in the, oh my God. Um, so, so I noticed my mind saying, you know, oh, this rain. And then, you know, how the mind goes. Well, my dad lives in Tucson where it's 75 or 80. And so I said, I need to go to Tucson. And I've, you know, I just have to figure So I get online, I'm looking at flights. Oh, the flights are more expensive than I wanted. Well, I can drive. Well, I have the Subaru, the gas match. Oh, I need that, that hybrid, this Prius that I've been meaning to get. Oh, I've got to get. So I get online and I'm looking at Priuses. And, um, right, you guys know, like, this is honestly. So, okay. Finally, you know, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I could, I could go to Tucson, that's fine, right? But what are the other options here, you know? Now, I also know that there's, there's pluses and minuses of being anywhere, right? So I was online, I was looking at hiking groups because I'm a hiker, I hike here, of course we can't hike because it's raining, and I, we've all been whining. And so I get online, well, the hikers in Arizona are having trouble because it's been so hot. And so they can only either hike in the morning or the evening right now. So I thought, well, wait, I'm going to drive all the way over there and I won't be able to hike because it's too hot, right? So it's just, this is the benefits of mindfulness because I could see, you know, finally it's like, I mean, I, I ended up laughing, right? And there's that one story, I can't remember the name of the story, but the um, the queen, there's this one queen who has a queendom, right? And her feet, she walks around barefoot, and her feet are always getting blisters, and she orders all of her servants to put leather, you know, throughout the whole kingdom, right, so that she won't have blisters on her feet. And then, you know, finally someone says, well, you could, like, put shoes on, right? So instead of having to put leather throughout the whole kingdom, and that's kind of what I was doing, right? Well, instead of having to go all the way to Arizona, so, you know, not to mention, I mean, driving 13 or 15 hours isn't pleasant either, right? So I could just say, it's raining and it's unpleasant. <laughs> like, okay, right, and, and just work with that. So, so that's what I did. I did buy a Prius. But um, <laughs> that's for the later plan. Um, and so, you know, this is, uh, this is one of the ways that I just find... The meditation so practical, and um, another couple. One of the things I also wanted to mention is um, something they call the eight worldly winds or the eight worldly concerns. And um, so, in terms of being practical, how this applies is, you know, you're at work, and 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 your boss calls you in and says, you know, oh, well, okay, this is my personal experience. Oh, the boss calls me in, you know, oh the CEO really thought so highly of your last project, blah, blah, blah. And he says, oh, you have so much potential, blah, blah, blah. And this is, I, I had been meditating and going to um, IMC for many years. And I, I know the, the eight worldly concerns, which are gain and loss, 
pleasure and pain, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. So I listen to her say this, and I just take it in. I think this is, this is great. And I say to myself inside, you know, that's for today, right? Because we all have seen, right? You know, everything's impermanent. And I, I definitely saw at times, you know, so a year later, someone who was, you know, a high potential person, you know, they're, they're horrible. Who hired that person? We got to get rid of them. Blah. So I just know, and sure enough, for me, you know, I, I can't remember how long it was, but I remember I made a very big mistake. At least once, but I know this one time I made a very big mistake. And I remember thinking, aha, <laughs> here it is, right? So before I was, oh, you know, such a good worker. Well, now I'm the same person, but now, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. You know, I'm telling myself this before I went to go see my boss and let her know what I had done or had not done. And um, so, you know, the whole the whole reason why, again, I feel like meditation is so practical and mindfulness and Buddhist teachings is that basically... Um, it takes it takes the charge out of so many of um, my habitual patterns, right? Of reacting, and it just puts in a space, a pause, and says, "Okay, now being mindful, how can I respond?" So um, I would now really love to hear from you and what questions you might have. It doesn't have to be about anything that I said tonight. It could be about your practice or anything else that you would like to to ask. Yeah, and if you don't mind using the microphone because uh, some people, well, number one, it's being recorded, and number two, some people are using the hearing devices. Yes. Thank you very much. I actually have two questions, and I hate people who have two questions, but... (laughs) So, so one will do it real quick. Um, out on the counter, we have little half-page flyers that say "Volunteer Fair," that's going to be here April tenth, Sunday, and it'll be the day of a tea, and people will come in here and hear what some other people in the community are doing, volunteering, and then um, and then people, if they don't hear something they maybe are interested in then they'll say, well, this is kind of what I was wanting to do. And then maybe, hopefully, somebody will be able to plug them into some place where they know they're doing that. So, and that'll be kind of nice. And I loved your talk about what you're doing at San Francisco General. So then I just hate to bring this other one up. But I know. <laughs> Two, yeah, and it's amazing. I forget if I remember the next one. So I was fascinated with you saying that even though you knew all of the retreats you loved... I mean, I do this too. There's this reluctance to do it. I mean, right before you were saying, oh, no, I don't think I want to. What is that? Oh, it's always a mixed bag, right? I mean, for, for most things in life. But specifically for retreats, a mixed bag, yeah. Because, I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy. There's so many rewards 
um, over over time. There's so many rewards, but it's not easy. And um, and there's you know you're you're in community with a lot of people, right? So depending on what the sleeping conditions are like, and you all go to get meals together, and you know you're waiting in line. I mean, there's it's just out of your regular routine. Um, and some people have a lot of challenges with their body. You know, you sit for 45 minutes and you walk for 45 minutes and you sit and you walk and you do this day after day after day. And um, my friends, when I describe this to them, they're thinking, oh my God, and you're paying for this? Because um, some, some of these retreats you do pay for, you know, like, oh. And yeah, so it's always a mixed bag, I think, for... You know, for for most people, um, but over time, it's been enough years that I just sign up, and then I just know. Yeah, and and you know, well, that's the other thing. We sit with our mind, right? You are sitting with your mind every day, after day, after day, and if you have this papancha going on, which which it will happen, it will happen. And that's what the teachers are there for. But it's not easy to sit with your own mind every day. Now, some some meditations are better than others. Some moments are better than others. Um, but it's not always easy. So, but it's always in the end worth it. It's worth every minute. And then again, you know, oh, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. So I have a friend actually who who did three months last year and she came back and I had coffee with her and she said, oh my gosh, you know, I was counting the days, blah, 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 near the end. But, you know, but overall it was good. And well, then she's over at Spirit Rock now. She went back for another two months. So it's, (laughs) there's, there's really a beauty in it. And it's not often that we're, you know, that human beings are able to have uh, silence for that long, and um, and actually, it's it's really a purification practice. So you, it's amazing. It's really amazing. But you know, the the innate goodness in us comes out, and um, it's just it's very rare that we have that time for that innate goodness to come forward, and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So, but yeah, it's mixed. Who else has a question, comment? Could you talk a little bit about the interface between 12-step groups and Buddhism these days? Oh, I'd love to. I have so much to say about that. Um, We had Kevin Griffin come here and Stephanie Tate. Gosh, it must be six months now. And they came here for a day long. Did anyone hear about that? Anyone? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I think his latest book, One Breath at a Time, or anyway, Kevin Griffin's written two books on the overlap uh, between twelve steps and Buddhism, and um, I myself uh, 
have done a lot of, of work with that because I've had challenges with with 12-step program, how, how they go together. Um, I don't now, but I did. Um, so, so I think, let's see, one of the things that he talks about, you know, one of the big differences is, you know, higher power, right? So in 12-step, there's, you know, a higher power. And we have 12, there's 12 steps that um, are really recovery steps. And, uh, and they work. And, um, and the foundation of 12-step is something called a higher power, which is a beautiful thing in the sense that it's a, you know, God of your understanding. So there's no, no one's telling you what your God needs to be, but it's some sort of higher power. And in Buddhism, um, you know, we don't really talk about a higher power. But what Kevin did in his book, at least my recollection of it, and, and this is only one, one piece of the, whole, of the whole book that he wrote, was um, that we do take refuge. Because essentially it's taking refuge, right? Taking refuge in a higher power. But we do take refuge. We take refuge in the Buddha, which is our own ability to awaken, in the Dharma, and in the Sangha. So we do take refuge. And so what he talks about, which I just loved, is we take refuge in the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. Just as I described when I first went to Gil's first talk, you know. So there's refuge in knowing there is an end to suffering, and that is the Eightfold Path. And I trust that. I take refuge in that because there's several people who have gone before me and I also in my own experience have found these teachings to be true and so that's um, that's in a sense a um, higher power right a power greater than ourselves so I found that very very helpful really really enjoyed that um, and anything any other specifics on on that? that you had in mind is uh, were you there Maureen I can't yeah yeah it was it was really lovely um and I I hope we can have more of those actually the day that we had that I think there were people from one or two people from out of state and then um Sacramento and it, it was just really lovely so I hope we'll have more of that And how about tonight's sit, the 30 minutes? How was that for people? Is it, for, for anyone, was that the first time they sat for 30 minutes? That's great. That's great. And also, just so that you know, on Thursdays, there's, um, there's various teachers on Thursdays. Andrea Fellows typically the teacher on Thursdays, but um, when she's not here, there's um, there's always different teachers. So, if something, uh, if if you didn't hear what you needed tonight, um, just be sure to come back and and not say, oh well, I don't know about that place. Um, and we have two minutes left, and 
What I want to do in those two minutes is something called um, sharing the merit. And um, in Buddhist practice, uh, it's, it's typical that we share the merit at the end, which basically um, what that means is that we don't, we don't practice for ourselves only. And this, for me, is so important because um, I think sometimes meditation gets a bad rap for those of you, or for those people like my friends who don't meditate or, you know, the general public, they think, well, how useful are they, right? They just sit there and meditate. I mean, there, things need to be done in the world. Um, but we do meditate for ourselves and others because when we meditate and we're mindful, we have more peace. And when we're more peaceful, we suffer less. And when we suffer less, so do the people around us. And how many of you know that to be true? You go home, your families, your friends, people you work with, people you encounter even at the stores. When we suffer less, the people around us suffer less because we're more generous, we're more patient, we're more tolerant. And um, when I suffer, I... I'm not always the nicest person, and it's painful to watch myself. Oh, it's painful. So I do meditate for myself and for all beings. And so, whatever benefit we've received from this evening, from our practice, may we share this with others. As we leave IMC tonight, may all beings in the world be at peace. May all beings in the world, especially in Libya, be safe. May all beings everywhere be happy especially those people in Japan and may all beings everywhere be free thank you for your attention